Welcome back to Opa Podcast. Uh, I freaking forgot what episode we're at, so we're just going to roll with it. But welcome to another episode of Opa Podcast. We'll be uh, recapping the Wisconsin game, uh, plus discussing a bunch of other topics, like the new coach has been hired so far in the Big Ten as of the 28th of November, uh, Big Ten Championship that's going to be on the 3rd of December, and plus other things going on with like uh, CAP rankings and other stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. So gentlemen... Our Golden Gophers have taken back the axe for consecutive seasons since 1993 and 94, um, and also back-to-back uh, eight-win seasons, I believe, um, since the early 1900s, I think 1905 is what they said, um, winning uh, against the Wisconsin Badgers 23, the thir- uh, not 13, 16, um, for this matchup. So this to update the entire uh score chart here, we have our predictions. So Laurence is actually at 10 and 2 uh for the overall season, uh which matches his preseason prediction like his for his personal record, which is pretty cool. Um Wyatt was 8 and 4. Uh I was also 8 and 4. Uh Griffin was 8 and 4 and then Soup with Interman uh moments in the episode podcast at 6 and 1. Uh, so I think technically Soup has the better record percentage-wise, I think, if I did the math. Minimum right. seven games played or whatever. <laughs> also, Laurence didn't show up to a single podcast, so. <laughs> yep. But, yes, our Golden Gophers are 8-4 overall, and we do have that axe back. So um, it's great. It was a fun game to watch. But let's get into some of the stuff with this game. So, again, we won 23-16. to 16. Um, I believe Soup predicted it or was it Wyatt um a lot of field goals this game <laughs> yeah really predicted, bold prediction I predicted it to fall almost exactly the other way yeah and uh <laughs> thank the boys for proving me wrong but uh, a lot of field goals we we do like that when points are at a premium though yeah, for yeah sure. last week's episode is a masterclass in emotional hedging. <laughs> yep. um, I'd like to begin by saying thank you, PJ, for listening to the pod. Clearly, you heard what Soup had to say last week. I think that's a Soup, all of us. Like, we all had something to chime in about <laughs> this current program. <laughs> yeah, I was just the loudest. Yep. Oh, I'm just talking about specifically the timeout issue. Okay. Well, let's stop stepping on Jason's intro and let us actually uh, do something. Yeah. So uh, going on from there. So um, obviously the Gophers did win, but we do have to discuss a few things. So um, as a result of this game, Ethan got actually honored by the Big Ten as co-freshman of the week, uh, which is pretty cool. I was expecting some sort of accolades for him. And also to note, he is the f- uh, he he is the first Minnesota quarterback to eclipse the 300-yard mark passing. Last person to do that was Tanner Morgan back in 2019 in the loss to Iowa. Um, so kudos to Ethan and us scoring two touchdowns as well, passing and getting some yards on his legs. And also, I, I have to say about Ethan, the dude had balls of steel staying in the pocket and making crazy-ass passes while getting pressured and getting tackled in the face. Some, like, I believe, I remember one where he, like, they were reviewing it for targeting, and then we got a couple others that were like roughing the passer. Um, so the cojones of Ethan Kellick, man, is the Greek rifle, the Greek cannon came out this game. And I'm 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 all for it. 
Yeah, I mean, I was just really impressed, like you said, Jason, with his poise in the pocket especially. I mean, the touchdown he throws to Lamecki Brockington that, you know, ices the game away comes like two plays after he takes a shot to the face, right? And even that throw, he's standing in there and he gets crushed. He gets crushed as he throws he throws a slant, but he sees it, he knows it's coming, he throws right into the blitz, which is exactly what they coach you to do. And then it's just it's just money. It was it's it's really nice to like see that like he has the confidence and like the willingness to push the ball downfield that a lot of younger quarterbacks don't have. You see a lot of younger quarterbacks get nervous and like be afraid of turning the ball over or whatever. And especially in a program as conservative as PJ's, you know, philosophy is he's out there just slinging it around. Yeah. I would have expected a lot more check down in some of the situations where he was under pressure and Wisconsin had him under pressure all game. That defensive line is not one to be trifled with. That is a force of nature right there. And, you know, Ethan really showed why we have reason to be excited about him. Um, and there's, you know, there's room for improvement here. But it's hard to complain after a 300-yard, two-touchdown performance from a player starting his, what, fifth game? Yeah, I mean... Oh, sorry. It was even funnier the reactions from Wisconsin fans of how pissed they were of how well he did. They're like, they were calling him a backup quarterback that threw for over 300 yards on our defense. And they were acting like they were just, like their program was in shambles. I was like, no, you can give the dude some credit. Like, this dude can be and hopefully will be very good. Um, You know. Just know your your program's not the plug-and-play that it used to be a couple years ago. For sure. But uh, besides Ethan, I do want to note um, some other guys. Unfor- uh, I noticed throughout the game, um, especially in the second half, Wisconsin on defense that you're not going to let Mo Ibrahim run all over us and essentially force us to pass through the air. And if this was any other game like at Iowa like the Iowa game the week prior and before where we were very one dimensional with Ethan in in in, in the in the saddle like starting quarterback um we would have been one dimensional like the receivers weren't getting separation um Brevin wasn't the safety blanket because he was helping either Quinn Carroll on the right right side of the O-line or on the left side here and there to help with the O-line for protection and run game um but I think I may be, this is my thoughts, but I think um, despite the pressure and the O-line pretty much getting manhandled by a really good D-line from Wisconsin, uh, Ethan kept things poised and the receivers, especially the slant. I remember the OG slant game that, you know, Kirk Shiraka implemented with this offense back in uh, from 16, uh, 17 to 19, where that was like our forefront as an offense and the RPOs. I came back and it was on full blast. And also we have the check down. Brevin was there as a safety blanket getting that first down. Um, so I really enjoyed that on the, like offensively, we looked way better. Unfortunately, Mo, don't, 
uh, ended his streak for 100 yards straight games. Uh, and also, like, I think that's in terms of touchdowns. But he, he was also, I think we noted on our group chat during the game last weekend that he did get dinged up a bit. Um, this Wisconsin game. But I, overall, I thought off, offensively overall, like, uh, while no one eclipsed 100 yards passing, like, on the receiver side, uh, Daniel Jackson, Dalen Wright, and Brevin were, like, pretty much over 80 yards uh, per receiver. So I was glad to see that. Um, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on the offense? Yeah, it. Um, I think back to the Illinois game where we didn't seem to be able to get a whole lot going on the ground early. And when we needed to turn to the air, Tanner just wasn't finding it. And then you look at that, you compare that with this game. Ethan was finding receivers. He was he was making plays, and he was he was absolutely throwing dots. Um, and that's no disrespect to Tanner. Tanner's we're gonna miss Tanner a lot. Tanner's one of the best leaders this program has. But you know, it, it maybe it's Ethan's got a little bit of a flash that Tanner didn't, or Maybe Kirk Shiraka was just up there saying, all right, we're going to let this kid ball out and got creative with his play calling. And if that's the case, good to know that Kirk Shiraka's back. But it was nice to see, you know, where we, when we couldn't run the football, we weren't afraid to throw it. And we, we put up 300 yards through the air doing that. This and is not think the last time we did that was Minnesota football. What well, do you last think the time last we... time we did that was 300 yards passing. Jason said it. We lost to Iowa three years ago. I know. Isn't that so weird? <laughs> Just can't get over it. Still doesn't seem real. Not only was he throwing it and throwing it well, but they were spreading the ball out over different parts of the field. Uh, you know, it's like you go downfield to Dalen Wright. It's like, okay, you got to respect my long ball. And then all of a sudden you're throwing slants and you get Lamecki Brockington, who is casually like just fast as frick by the way like what is that why isn't he not like in motion half the half the time um but just throwing and calling plays all over the field and just giving um Ethan time to uh go through his progressions and um, see what he thinks is the best move so um, not only that we they made Wisconsin's defense respect the short game and the in the long game. Isn't it amazing what a balanced offense will do? What a concept, you know? I mean, it didn't, it, it was just really weird to kind of see Wisconsin just like completely sell out for the run while Ethan was continuously hitting them for big play after big play after big play. But they were just like dogged in it of saying that, no, we know you're going to try and win running the game running the ball out, we're not going to let you do that, you know? And it's it's a credit to PJ, right? Like, he said, okay, we're going to throw it. We don't care. And I think you finally see what they think of Ethan. Like, especially some of those deep balls, like the one Daniel Jackson makes on the right sideline. Oh, boy, is that a drop in a bucket? Like, that one went up in the air. He throws that thing. First of all, he throws his deep ball with some wild anticipation. Like, it's like four steps, hitch, deep ball. And it's like, wh where is this going? You know, like, my stomach just drops because we haven't really seen these all year. And the ones we do see from Tanner are because he's been standing in the pocket for, like, 
five, six seconds. And it just like, it's going way up there and you're like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. And then it just drops right into the receiver's hands. It's, it's just very refreshing. And it's nice to, to see, uh, him unafraid to take those shots downfield because I think they may have been a little too, you know, conservative with the coaching of him in the past, but they clearly let him loose this game. And I think that, uh, you know, he could have, there are a couple of things I think he needs to, you know, clean up going forward, which I obviously think will happen. Uh, some of the reads, I appreciate him pulling the ball and wanting to throw it, but some of the reads he was making sometimes just hand it off. Um, there's one in particular where he ends up taking a sack, but you know, they hold the mesh point and then he pulls it and Mo's got like the biggest hole that he's probably seen all day. It was that drive where they gave up like the back-to-back sacks on it, but he converts the third down. I think specifically falls over. Yeah. Yeah. And then he converts the, the third down to nice catch from Brevin over the middle, I think is the next play as the third down play, but first down, he goes to hand the ball off. And if you look, Right side of the line's just wide open. Mo could have just walked through it for a first down, but he pulls the ball. And, you know, I appreciate the aggression, but I think those details, you know, he still needs to work out. For sure. Um, but I also want to touch on, too, um, have we confirmed yet if Brevin is returning next season or is he walking? Like, he's he's gone. Do no clue. Him? Okay. Because I do want to touch on this. So this game, I really enjoyed seeing the receivers. Like, obviously, we had Mo. Trey and Bryce in the backfield, which uh, if you look at the stats, they contained a rushing attack to only um, where is the stat line here? 97 yards. 97 yep. yards of, uh, of rushing offense, um, which is like again, remember how uh, we, PJ was like, if we win it by rushing for 300 yards or passing for 300 yards, we'll take it. And this, it was the opposite because we've been seeing a lot more rushing yards per game with this team than before but i do want to note i i think with tanner uh, not tanner with ethan and his like his big arm and great anticipation i think it opened things up a lot for the receiving game uh like you mentioned the soup and griffin as well like the long game because i i saw moments where like dalen right and daniel jackson just stepped the hell up like I, I, I'm excited to see what they can do next year. I know in the last couple episodes, I, th- I might not see, I, th- I think we might not see Dalen on the roster, but after this game and the better performance at the quarterback level, I think he might end up safe. But like those two guys, I'm confident in the future, especially, and also, I can't forget Lemecki Brockington as well. Like the speed on that guy is amazing as well. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about the wide receiver court. I know Crab is coming back as well. Uh, next oh, year. hold on hold on Wait. we got a transfer as well yes yep um, just today from wisconsin uh, i believe his name is uh, marcus allen i believe yes yep. marcus allen uh he entered the portal right away after paul chris got fired um he's a i think a former four-star receiver mm-hmm. um very speedy guy as well um yeah he's fast but he's also he's more of a big body type guy than like an absolute burner he's a fast guy with wheels he's not like a like a absolutely gonna stretch the field slot guy he which i think they still need i think they still need somebody who's just you know a four three guy who can just absolutely stretch the field out for you because right now they just don't have that i mean 
Lamecki looked pretty fast, but I don't know if he has. I think Lamecki is an acceleration guy. I don't know if his if he's got that top end long distance speed. I think he breaks them off by out accelerating guys and breaking ankle breaking angles that way, as we saw on his uh, 45 yard touchdown. So it's it's a step in the right direction though, and you see um the you know people are not afraid if you're a receiver to come here so that's good yep uh but i will also note uh that a player that we kept bitching about all season long uh mike brown's team is did not catch a ball and i think he wasn't targeted as often which i am all for <laughs> oh he still almost gave up his uh infamous off the hands interception oh, that almost yeah. happened yeah <laughs> so frustrated with Mike Brown Stevens this season. He just, it seems like every game he's making mental mistakes that cost us on offense in meaningful ways. And I mean, we win this game, so like, good. But you, th- you clean it up. Eventually, you've got to clean it up. Otherwise, you know, put in some of these other guys who are showing up. Dalen Wright was you know, almost non-existent for most of this season. And then for the Wisconsin game, the game that we care about most, he shows up. Yeah. I mean, Dalen's Dalen's issue has always been between the ears. So. Yeah, for sure. But um, I am excited at what this offensive passing game looks like. Now that we have Ethan in the saddle and the receivers, a lot of them returning as well. So very excited about that, but let's move on to defense. Um, uh, really quick before we do. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. We got, what, four or five games of data on Ethan right now? Yeah. Where do you think like he that. ranks in the Big Ten rankings in QBR? Top five. Where? I'll say four. Third. Third is correct. Ooh. CJ Stroud, JJ McCarthy, Ethan Kaliak Manis. I was going to say, there's. there's I doubt he tops CJ. I doubt he tops JJ. But I could see Ethan, the way he played specifically yesterday, third. Yeah. I mean, he's just very, very efficient, very, you know, good at taking care of the football. So it, it makes sense. But it's nice to it, it it's nice to see. For sure. All right. Now into the next segment on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Michael Dixon. Uh, and Cody Lindenberg are our two top uh, players, pretty much uh, seven solo tackles total. Um, and behind that, Mariano, Justin Wally. Um, obviously, Justin Wally, I swear he has grabbed Mercer's number in the second half of the Wisconsin games he's played in because every time he played against Wisconsin, guaranteed pick against Graham freaking Mertz. <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, I, I was surprised. I didn't watch the start of the game. Apparently, Nubin was out this game due to a hand injury. Is that correct? Yeah, he busted his wrist. I hope he get, I hope he gets better soon. Yeah. So, um, with him being pulled, um, who was the guy who started in his place? Does anyone? Michael know? Dixon. Was it Michael Dixon? Yeah. Uh, you can tell this game if Michael Dixon was on coverage. Um, they did pick on him a lot. Um, well, he played both safety and nickel, which was very interesting to yeah. see because those are two very, very hard positions. And to see a guy playing both of those, I think, just bodes well for like who he is as a player. So uh, good there. But, yeah, he did get picked on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, though, I there were some things that frustrated me so much about this game, though. 
um i'm not sure what's uh like what the hell was up but like obviously um they're moving the ball down the field wisconsin side like obviously we're forcing a lot of the plays into obviously field goals like obviously the first a few points on the game for them throughout the game until they got that touchdown finally was all field goals, right? Mm -hmm. And some three and outs. But I was just pissed off like, hey, they don't have Braylon as a Braylon Allen, their star running back in for this game and somehow we're letting their second, third string guys run through us. Um, And then obviously, uh, and then somehow we we made Grammars look presentable. Which yeah. he hasn't been. So I, I, uh, I was like, I'm hit, I'm hit or miss. In the with first this. half. Yeah. Graham Mertz did not look particularly sharp in the second half of football. And, you know, obviously the guy goes down with an injury, and you feel for anyone that goes down with an injury, but he he just he wasn't looking sharp. And like Chase Wolf didn't go in there and do well. But God, did he make me sweat. <laughs> you got something, Griffin? <laughs> the only qualm I have with this team on defense, for the most part right now, consistently, every week, is the defensive line. Absolutely. Because why are we just rushing three or four every single time we can't get pressure on the quarterback. Wisconsin, you know, generally have a very good offensive line. And then anytime we need to even um, the quarterback decides, oh, maybe I'll just, you know, pull the ball down and start running. There's not even anyone on that second line of like a linebacker to even spy. Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, he gets to the line of scrimmage and then boom, he's going to get at least five, maybe 10 yards. Like I, schematically we need to change something up there um but it's just every single week is like he should not consistently have more than you know four seconds three four seconds pocket so even just to let him even even if we don't hit him we can get him to flush and then make him make plays on his feet but it's just frustrating every single week yeah, and I think I think their game plan early was to was to send some pressure at him a little bit, uh, and you would send you'd see five six guys like towards the beginning of the game, and the problem was just like Griffin said is you're playing man at that point and guys are turned around once the quarterback breaks the pocket and he's waltzing down the field for 15 yards easily, or because you're still not getting pressure sending f- five or six. So I think they just decided, you know, we're not getting pressure with four, we're not getting pressure with five, we're not getting pressure with six. We're just going to rush four and drop everybody else back into coverage. He's going to make a mistake eventually. He did. And so I think you saw like a very, very textbook, like bendo break from the defense. They give up two field goals in the first half, right? Like overall a good performance, but you know, between the twenties, it was kind of ugly for them. They're getting gashed up the middle. You know, I think the inside of the defensive line, especially is something that uh, needs to improve. I also want to say, you know, I don't think it helps when the officials of Camp Rander are, are letting them hold like uh, like, you know, I mean, John Joyner's out there getting held like a newborn baby. What are we doing? Like, it, it's absurd. I mean, they spent half the game basically holding jaw 
And I, I would not the camera angle for the broadcast. You can really only see the tackle play. I would not be surprised if the guards are getting inside someone's shoulder pads and really, really yanking them around. So, because some of those holes up the middle were were very weird. And I, I, I there, we can get into like officiating and game flow stuff later because there's a there's a few in like game management stuff because there are some things I'd like to touch on. But I think overall I, the defense played probably their worst game of the season i would say like they were just not that effective it didn't feel hard for wisconsin to move the ball up and down the field until they would get into the red zone and then they'd see some resistance they came up with the big play when they needed it that crazy sequence towards the end of the game Ja finally gets a holding call but other than that this is like the first time in a really long time where the offense wins a game yeah, I have to agree because, like, even the losses we had against Illinois, Purdue, um, Iowa, and Penn State, like, between the 20s, like, even our defense made those offenses struggle. Like, they had to fight for every yard they had to handle. Like, remember Purdue? Like, they went a lot, went for it a lot on fourth down that game, too. Was it Purdue? I might be. That was Illinois. 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 And. You know that's a testament to our defense. Like you know they have like they have to offensively go on every down. Like it's four down territory for them because they know our defense is not going to uh, or try not to let them score. Like that's what I was felt all season, and so I have to agree. This is maybe the worst defensive performance all year, especially like between the twenties. Like it was, but, it was rough. I think. Yeah, which is crazy because if you think about it, they give up zero points in the fourth quarter. They get off the field three drives in a row in the in the fourth quarter so like when the chips were down they showed up but you know the game probably was a little closer than it needed to be for a while also the touchdown that they uh score to dk on that end around graham mertz hold that's a hold yeah that's a blatant hold i was i was gonna mention that yeah um, um we can talk like, about home cooking in a little bit, but my God. If the quarterback can get away with blatant holding, yeah, something's wrong in the officiating crew on that one. Look, guys, it was Cannon's last game as a 23-year Mitchell <laughs> trying to go home. He's trying to get home, <laughs> yeah. True. But uh, anything else on the defense? Like, anything else to note up besides, like, you know, it was probably their worst game, but when they showed up, they clamp it down at the end, and we won the game. Anything else? Uh, not. I mean, not really. I think we did a pretty good job wrapping it up. I mean, I just really think the interior of the defensive line right now is is a that's like our most immediate issue. I would say so. Yeah, for sure. But moving on, special teams. So Wyatt, your boys. So uh, Mark Crawford, punting wise, was four punts, averaging only forty one point eight yards. Um, um, actually, that's the best we've seen out of Mark Crawford in probably a long time. Uh, he broke 40 you guys he did he, he broke an average of 40 which like it, you know it ended up being enough from him was it uh, <laughs> like i'm not happy about it but i don't i also can't really complain about what mark crawford did so here's what, I, here's what i noticed so yes he did break the 40 yard barrier on his averages but i will also have to note though um special teams did not do a fa- do any favors for offense or punting like uh soup i know you got very mad about this and well you too Wyatt. when 
uh, Quentin Redding or Clay Gear would like field the uh, the kickoff or the punt at like our three four yard line and try to make a run for it, like to get some positive yardage, which they should have taken a touchback, honestly, because like they were like, getting stuffed at like the twelve yard line. Um, in some cases, or maybe I think shorter, but play Gary taking the ball out three yards deep into the end zone. Dude, what are you doing? Play Gary and Clinton Redding combined on three returns for, I think it's 33 yards. It, They're like it just negative take... 25 yards in field position on the day on kickoff. All a fair catch, for the love of God. You spent the whole season doing it. You spent the and entire season calling fair catches. The entire season calling fair catches on kickoffs for anything inside the 10. And then and this game you go, nah, we're just not going to do it. But the worst thing about it is Quentin Redding let every punt but one bounce and just roll. I don't think that's his fault. I don't think that's his fault. That's I mean, not it's not really his fault, but like, there's no way he should be 60 yards from the kicker. I don't know why yeah. he, they line him up that far. That's again, Rob. If, if we need to get Rob Wenger fired, we got Rob Smith. I got I had a campaign. We got Rob Smith fired. I had a campaign. We got Mike Sansford fired. My new one is Rob Wenger. I will not rest until he is unemployed. Dude, this podcast has been preaching from the get go. The fire Rob Wenger, led by Lorenz. <laughs> I wish he was here to chime in. On that. I mean, it's just it's just so bad. Like. You almost lose this game because of special teams. Like, Ethan probably shouldn't have had as many passing yards as he did if you had a competent special teams unit. Like, does Ethan break 300 yards if oh, – it probably does if you consider their net, like, minus 25 or something, and that's still over whatever he had. But, like, at what point do you need to make a change on special teams where you're like, you know, this just isn't good enough. It's just, it's just atrocious. It's just so bad. Not even really like the player's fault. Clay Geary and Quentin Redding, obviously they made some, you know, really questionable decisions on the returns, but that comes, it comes from the coaching. The coaching has got to be there to be like, Hey guys, you got to know when it's the right time to take it and when it's not. And in that game, it just wasn't the right time to take those, kick returns out and like soup says it rob wenger's the root of the problem yeah and then uh to add more into that uh obviously matt trickett had four field goals to uh to attempt that day only made three of the four uh one in the second at 25 yards the other in the third for 50 uh, which was his i think career high this season um then in the fourth 27 yards and then uh, a minute 48 left on the clock um when at, this is after the wally interception where we couldn't convert and eat clock away um missed the 48 yarder so the game was closer <laughs> at that l last two minutes of the game on the game clock uh but yes um there's I, nothing nothing easy this year right like because yeah. if he hits that kick the game's over they got no timeouts they need 10 points it's done but and it's like 50 earlier yeah. in the game after it's missing like... the 45 yarder and they call they get a penalty they get a he misses the 45 yarder because of and then there's a false start so he gets a free look at it at least and he just bangs the 50 yarder it's like all right Matthew Trickett sure knows how to create suspense that's 
He's like Schrodinger's God. Schrodinger's kicker. It's so crazy. It's like all these big kicks he just just won't make, but everything else is just money. But I will say also say too, he did make all the extra points, unlike the Vikings kicker who can barely do shit with that. So I'll Oh, I mean they don't win this game without they don't win this game without Trickett. Like the fifty yarders uh the fifty yarder is arguably a bigger kick than the one that they would have gone up to ten with. The fifty yarder is arguably like one of the like top three big biggest plays of the game. Yep. And biggest too because it changes how you call plays. Absolutely. And it's so weird, like I know why I know I've kind of shit on Trigget a lot this year. And but Wyatt I had no has brought up a good point. He's only missed three field goals. That's his third miss of the season and it's from forty eight yards out. Which, which is, is really fucking hard to kick. And it it just it's so funny. I don't I don't know like is is it is it my standards like what I or my expectations for him, but it just seems like he his numbers are way worse than they actually are. Well, this is something I saw after I, it was week one of the NFL season when, like, three kickers got cut because they missed kicks. And it's just it, – it's not just your standards, Griff. It's everyone's standards where, like, sort of the expectation has just changed dramatically over the years because the – the the human body, the athlete, the kicker specifically has gotten so much better at what they do that these are guys that can hit from sixty yards, and you know we we just expect them to be automatic from these on these kicks that just aren't automatic. I think it doesn't help that we had Adam Vinatieri for like a good chunk of his career in the NFL. And then we have what Justin Tucker with the Ravens. I was going to say, we have Justin Tucker who didn't miss a kick for like damn near 300 straight kicks. Do the wider college hashes make it more difficult? I think so. I think so for sure. Because all the kicks he's missed, he has not missed by much. I think he makes like every single one of those in the pro hash. Yeah, like I, I will notice the one he did miss, right? The forty-eight yarder that went barely by the upright. Like it didn't. Like I thought it was in from like the. No, camera, it, yeah. it, 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 yeah. it skinned the upright. And yeah. yeah, I think Soup's right when he says, and, and you can even look at the forty-five yarder that he misses. He just pushes it way right, and. Like, obviously, it doesn't count. He goes and kicks the 50 because he got the free look at it. He said, oh, I don't need to push it that far. I can just do this. And, yeah, that gets him a 50-yard field goal, which is awesome. Kudos to you, Matthew Trickett, for hitting a 50-yarder as a, you know, college kicker. That's hard to do. Yeah. That's unbelievably hard. Kudos to you, Matthew Trickett, for being the only reason Rob Winger still has a job. Literally. But going on from there, um, it was a fun game. Obviously, my heart rate and my heart took a beating the entire day. <laughs> um, but other than that, it was a fun game. We got the axe back. Uh, fun, love to see the uh, seniors chopping down their goalposts post-game. And, um, I'm we not didn't sure you... get the axe back. We kept it. Oh, we it. kept it. We kept it. But Very um, important. It was also fun to see uh, PJ run the mow and just give him a huge hug. And I think we, I heard Mo's laughter come out through the broadcast on the microphone of the broadcast. So that was like, that was like, 
the perfect icing on the cake for Mo because like I, I only I'm sad I'm he's gone after this year um sad to see him go but damn what an amazing career that guy has had. Will we see a better go for running back in our lifetimes? It's going to be a while. It's going to be a long time before someone with that much talent comes onto this team again. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that because talented players out there. Yeah. There are plenty of talented players out there, and some of them might even want to come play for the Gophers. Great. We'd and love to have you. but Honestly, if you're the Gophers, I don't think you want to see a running back have that kind of workload ever again. I mean, think of all the great running backs, though, that have come out of the University of Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to come here? I think and someone, someone's going to have a career here over four years, and they might break Mo's records. Who knows? Records are meant to be broken. Yep. And I saw Kenny Burns got deep into the he he got deep into the head coach interview process for either Arizona or Arizona State. He did like a third interview too. And I mean, Kenny's going to be a, a head coach somewhere someday. It's just a matter of time. Be an absolute stud for some team. And that's a hard position for us to fill too, because he's so big on our recruiting. So big. For sure. But um, I do want to touch on this next point now that. Uh, Wisconsin's game is over. We're done for the regular season of college football. Um, let's get into like initial reactions. Like now that the season's over, we, and also some time to reflect as well throughout the season. Um, so I'll go first. So I predicted the Gophers to go ten and two at the start of the season, <laughs> um, and I had expectations of us to win the West. Like at the time, we didn't. We weren't expecting Illinois to rise as they did, but I was expecting the Gophers to be in contention and win the West. Um, and that was the case until week five, where we lost uh, against Purdue without Mo. I thought that, that game wasn't that bad. And then and then the repeated stumbles after that. Um, so I'm disappointed that we didn't get to go to the Big Ten Championship. We didn't win the West. However, I think because of the standards that PJ has left behind so far for the program, I get we won 11 games, including the bowl game in 19. We, we, you said 2020 is a wash. In 21, they won nine games, so eight and four regular season, nine wins with the win against West Virginia in the bowl game. And if PJ wins another bowl game with this postseason coming up, he's going to be back-to-back nine and four seasons. Um, so, I well, yes, I am disappointed that we didn't, get to championship aspirations which sucks like you know we were that close um as well but i will say that the standards of this program is is better off where it is now that we're that we're now like trying we're getting eight nine win seasons per year and try to be consistent with it so far than what we've had with again with tracy clays or jerry kill prior or even way before that tim brewster where like two to three wins a season with funky brewster and then obviously with jerry maybe six seven wins a season the one year where they went eight and four, almost winning the West as well. Um, so I'd say my standards has gotten higher, and I, I I can't be mad about that. Like we're going to probably a decent bowl game coming up. So um, that's my initial reaction. A little bit of disappointment because no Big Ten West bid, but other than that, I'm happy that we have a very good record um, at the end of the season. So uh, I'll pass it on to someone else who wants to talk about their reflections of this regular season. 
I can go next if someone likes. Uh, so I think our criticism um, of PJ is fair this year, but I also think that we need to still give him some credit because now winning eight, nine games, um, I think it's going to be a, like the standard, like that's the, like the worst we're going to perform um, in a single year. And everyone ripped on, you know, when Bo Pliny got fired from Nebraska, it's like, well, you fired a coach that's winning eight, nine games. Um, obviously PJ at the beginning of, of his tenure said, you know, I'm here to win Rose Bowls. I'm here to win big 10 West uh, national championships and all that. Um, which is coach speak, you know, to an extent, but it's also, um, now that we're, you know, we're, we're four, we're five years, uh, into his coaching career here at the U of M. And it's, I think the pressure is, you know, starting to get to him to, um, make sure that he's consistently at or above, um, or at least getting closer to those expectations. And it seems to fluctuate by the year. I think that Iowa game really, really got to him. Because yeah. I don't know if I saw the um, whole, like, um, interview that he had with media where he's like, you guys wanted me fired last week. And I was kind of sitting there thinking, like, well, you know, some people probably thought that, but not the mass majority of us. Um, not we uh, weren't They co- love bulletin board material, though. That's, that's true. But you could tell, like, PJ is a very professional person for the most part when it comes to, like, talking to the media. And that, that loss last week really kind of got to his mind a little bit um so i think it's the the pj flux the best coach that the gophers have had in a very long time um he's sitting at or above 500 as a big 10 record uh, which is great we're starting to consistently get and we're gonna have nine wins in it three out of the last four years which we haven't done for a while so the standard of this program has been raised but i do think there is some justified criticism um, for PJ, that goes along with that. But over, over, overall, you know, we hit nine wins. We win a bowl game. Um, hopefully, um, that's I think definitely still a great season, um, but not as successful, obviously, as we would have liked. And what was there for the taking? Yeah, and I think I think those are all fantastic points. And another thing I want to give PJ credit to is I think I said this to see you guys during the game. I think. His usage of timeouts in the first half was the best that they were ever. It's the best usage of his ever of his entire career, including one that he should never ever have to use, where he calls timeout to get a review on a fourth and one, which is not something that you should have to burn a timeout for on a change of possession into a TV timeout. But they don't even look at the spot. You know, they apparently billion dollar company espn doesn't have a camera angle down the line they don't measure they don't respot the ball and measure afterwards like it was really weird and he ends up having to burn a timeout just to get them to look at it that's that's absurd to me he should never have to do that and then the other two timeouts both felt like yeah pretty pretty good like the last one is to you know stop the clock with three seconds left kick a field goal going to halftime and the other one before that, I think, was on a fourth down where they eventually decide to punt. And I think that was a good one because the way they lined up, uh, it was going nowhere. 
I mean, they just looked at the front. They're in the shotgun. They've got three guys over the center, basically. And I think PJ just said, nah, let's let's not. Let's just not do this. You know, like, let's not run straight to a wall here and give them what much, much better field position. So, again, great usage of the timeouts there. Hopefully these are all trends in the right direction. The season as a whole. So let's think about just like the last four years of Gopher football. PJ is 21 and three in Big Ten play over the last four years. That's the best stretch for a Gopher football coach since the 1960s for Ryan Burns. It's the best four-year stretch in the Big Ten any coach has had since the 60s. That's that's crazy. That's that's a lot. What do you, Wyatt? I see you pondering. You said 21 and three. Do you mean 21, 21 and 13? Yeah, I was gonna say Minnesota was I... lost four this year. Maybe I was thinking 28 to three, but whatever. 21 and 13. Sorry, I'll enunciate better. <laughs> yeah. 21 and 13 in the last four years of Big Ten play. So, uh, pretty good. Kill's best run during his four year period was 16 and 17. Glenn Mason, 15 and 17. So, I mean, like Griffin said, the standard's been raised. And I think the problem is that the standard's been raised. You know, like you've, you've done a great job raising the, the floor of this program and, and, getting people to believe in your vision and what they think this team could and should be. But now you got to show them. Now you have to show them that all those things can come true. And right now I think people are still grasping for those things. And that's where the frustration comes from. But I mean, I'm not going to be mad in, mad in an eight and four season. I'm, I'm just not, you can't be because you know, where this program was, even when I was in school, like eight and four season, that would have been amazing. So you know, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good year where you leave some meat on the bone, and that sucks. But it's a, it's a really good year that we learn all these things about PJ. Hopefully, he learns all these things about himself and how he coaches and how to change his best. And seeing what they have in Ethan here, and it pr- propels them forward. Hopefully, right. So if you're able to turn and a quote unquote down eight and four season into some momentum. That's, that's dangerous. I think most of what's been said is what I would have had to say. The one I'd love to have some of these games back. I would, I'd love to have the Purdue game back. I'd love to have the Illinois game back. I'd love to have the Iowa game back. We were this close to finally you know, and I was really been that Achilles heel for PJ. Like it's the same way that Harbaugh had with Ohio State for the longest time, and then finally, these past two seasons, Harbaugh kind of got over the got over the cliff and took him down. And PJ's been PJ's been better than anyone I can remember at you know just going into these rivalry games and taking trophies. The, storming the field at, against Penn State when they were here last, um, he's three and three against Wisconsin. That that that's unbelievable. Wisconsin fans are so frustrated with what happened on Saturday because they're not used to a Minnesota coach coming in and having their numbers some of the time. And they're the Gophers u- themselves. Yeah, they're they're used to, you know. For what was it, fifteen years? They just yep. wiped the floor with us, and then PJ walks in, 
PJ says, not anymore, and he finally goes and he gets us one. And now he's got us two more. And I think it's going to keep happening. I think PJ's going to be able to keep taking advantage of this Wisconsin team because he knows it's a big game, and he can get his guys to go out and play in that moment. I'd love if he could do it with Iowa. That's that's the next big step is going and showing that you can do it against more than just Wisconsin. But it's really hard to complain about a season where we're eight and four and you know, we brought the we brought the axe home with us. We didn't leave it there. First time in twenty eight years. Back to back axe wins. Mm-hmm. And I do wanna note as well the um of the three wins PJ has against Wisconsin two of the three has been in Cam Randall. Because remember, in, seven, in, uh, in, yep. 17, in 18, when we turned around to get that 6-6 six and six season, regular season, um, we got the axe back that year. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, we lost in 19. Uh, COVID year was weird with, in 2020. And then we won it last year and this year. And twice, of the, twice was at Cam Randall, which is very fun to see when you silence <laughs> the Wisconsin fans in that stadium. So I do want to mention that, like, especially at, at Camp Randall. Oh, I love it. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, great thoughts, guys. Um, obviously, uh, same, pretty much, yeah, it's it's the season as it is. So from there, guys, again, we are aimed for and we are bowl bound. And I do want to list off the bowl games right here for you. So uh, there's three that we're going to completely ignore. Uh, at least for the Gophers' perspective. So the Ch- uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, uh, the Verbo Fiesta Bowl are college football playoff semifinals. Um, and then obviously the college football uh, national championship. Uh, but here are the games that are listed for the Big Ten uh, that's contracted right now. Uh, the Rose Bowl, uh, Goodyear Con Bowl, Allstate Sugar Bowl, the Capital One Orange Bowl, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, uh, the Rely Quest Bowl um, in Tampa. I think that guy renamed from the Outback Bowl, if that sounds familiar. Uh, the Transperfect Music City Bowl, uh, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, the Bad Boy Movers Pinstripe Bowl, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, and the Quick Lane Bowl game. Uh, so we have a lot right there. Um, I did see a few predictions, some saying uh, the Mayo Bowl in Charlotte's. Or the uh, Music City Bowl in Nashville. Um, that's what I've seen commonly referred, like, as the on the predictions. But what are, what are you guys' thoughts on the potential bowl game here? Give me the PJ Fleck Mayo Bath. PJ Fleck Mayo Bath would be so much fun. Plus, smells so bad too in the locker room. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would like to see that bathe in. Um, mayo uh for that you also might get a strong push from the music city bowl because the last time the gophers were there that's when they played auburn right in nashville no that was was in tampa tampa that was in tampa that's that's they were between they were between those bowls that year that's what happened Mm -hmm. so maybe nashville picks them up because they didn't decide on them last time so i mean if you want to do the full like teams are bowl eligible like um I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I think Michigan wins the Big Ten Championship. So they're going to the CFP. Who, who, and then from there, who Penn leaves? Penn State will play in the Rose Bowl. So Penn, Penn State, State Rose Bowl? 
You think that, Penn State plays in the Rose Bowl? Does Ohio State make the playoffs? Or Ohio State. I don't know. One of the two yeah. wins the Rose Bowl. The next one plays the Citrus Bowl, right? Uh, then, no, Con Bowl. So it'll be sure. either of those teams. Then we got the Sugar Bowl. Um, who has the next best record from there? Uh, Purdue. <laughs> probably Purdue. Purdue. Orange then Bowl. Probably Illinois. Yeah. Or if, yeah, if Purdue gets absolutely spanked by Michigan, it's probably Illinois. Yeah. Um,. Then the Cheez-It Bowl, uh, what's it? We're 8-4. Who else has that decent record? Purdue. Um, it's how, basically how, all a toss-up after that. How, like, did, how did Maryland do? I'm curious. <laughs> five. Fine. Oh, they only they're, have five? They're, they're at Iowa's record, essentially. Okay. So they're going to... So essentially, perhaps between, like, what, Cheez-It Bowl and maybe the Pinstripe Bowl is toss-up for, like, the teams that had eight or seven win seasons in the Big Ten, possibly, because like I'm, yeah. I won't be surprised if like we don't get the quick lane bowl. No, there's. I think we avoided that one. We, yeah, I think we've dodged that one. I think that one's going to Wisconsin. Yeah. Um. I ho- uh, please don't. I I know. I think they don't do it back to back seasons. I think with because the guaranteed rate bowl that game was so late at night. <laughs> Uh, last year, uh, like I prefer now. And the field sucked. Yeah, in the rain. Oh. Well, let's see. Mar- Maryland and the Pinstripe Bowl seem to have this, you know, seem to have this thing. They seem well, to be a good fit for each other. They're right there. They're right there. Come on, put put them in. I mean, put I could see Pinstripe Bowl. I could see Wisconsin going to the Pinstripe Bowl again because we all know what happened the last time they went. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think Wisconsin will enjoy Detroit. <laughs> Short bus ride. It, that's so it feels so good to say Wisconsin could go to Detroit. Cuz who else are you going to put there? Do you take a 5 and 7 team this year? So here's I don't so, think so. so here's the thing. So we have 10 bowl games that's not CFP related. And there's only 9 teams in the Big 10 that are bowl eligible or better. Um, the only team that could be the exception that could make a bowl with their five and seven record is only Michigan State. Um, but remember, like the loopholes when the Gophers went five and seven during like the twenty fifteen season. So like that's very mm-hmm. dicey. Um, I just don't know if there's enough excitement around Michigan State for them to be appetizing as a five and seven bowl team. Yeah, literally with you know. I don't remember how many players it is, but there's a the number of players from Michigan State who are facing criminal liability for what happened at Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Maybe teams aren't, maybe bowls aren't touching them. Yeah, probably. So, I, I kind of agree with you guys. It could it's a toss up with like the middle bowls because obviously, um, it's possible like the lower tier bowls like the quick lane bowl or guarantee rate bowl make just get given to like another po- group of five or power five program honestly just because like we have less big 10 eligible teams for these bowls than what we have right now so um but yes i am leaning towards the mayo bowl it's warm weather it's on friday the 29th in charlotte so a good friday night a uh, friday to watch the game uh if not um i'm okay with the music city bowl too being on the 31st on that Saturday night, so or Saturday I, noon, Nashville. I would love to. I think regardless, I think it'll come down to the Mayo Bowl or the um, 
Music City Bowl, but I really hope it's the Mayo Bowl too. Regardless, both like Gopher fans will travel for both of them, but I would love to see how we'd match up against Florida State. That'd be fun. <laughs> like I think if you had a Florida State Minnesota matchup, um, historically we've run all over ACC teams in the past, I believe. Um, yep. They're putting up a lot of points right now, though. They are, but do they have Mohammed? That's true. Um, I have another interesting possibility here, and we've seen. I mean, we saw Auburn in the in the Outback Bowl. Um, what about something like South Carolina? Spencer oh. Rattler, where they've generated a lot of excitement off these last couple of weeks. No, I I would rather see Illinois' defense match up against uh, South Carolina. I think that would be more fun. Maybe teams will look at it that way, too. But, you know, Minnesota has one of the best defenses in the country. We do. We do. I think Illinois could terrorize them better with their defensive line, though. I want want the defensive—I want to see— You want to see Spencer Rattler get hit. I hear it. Oh, I do. I want him to be hit hard and hit legally. That's that's it. Yeah. Well, cool. So uh, we'll go round robin. Like uh, this, this name the bowl game you think the Gophers will probably go to, and we'll just end that session there. So um, I'm going to say Music City Bowl in Tennessee. Wyatt. Yeah, I'm going with mayonnaise. Soup. Mayo, 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 mayo. Griffin? I'm throwing a 10 on the Mayo. Let's go. Right. <laughs> we got that Mayo Clinic in Rochester. It's right there. Oh, think of all the segments. The segments, they write themselves. <laughs> we buy all the ad space for mayonnaise-related things. Not to mention, if we do go to the Mayo Bowl, there was that DM sent to the Duke's Mayo <laughs> media about eating a dilly bar full of mayo. I would love to see that. If only for that it should happen. On the 50 during halftime. They fly them out, free ticket. Instead of punt, pass, and kick, it's dilly bar of mayo. (laughs) Hell, I'll do that. Get flown out? Fuck yeah. Love it, love it. All right. So um, moving on to next segments here um i do want to touch on uh at least the big 10 championships so that's gonna be on fox at 7 p.m uh central kickoff on the third of Sat- saturday uh purdue is our big 10 west champs eight and four not ranked coming in to play against the number three michigan wolverines at 12 and 0 9 and 0 in conference play um i do want to mention though uh griffin shared this on discord prior to our episode tonight um Football is family. Uh, I do want to preface that. Um, Aiden O'Connell did lose his brother fairly recently um, as well. Um, so is it TBD that Aiden will play, or is he playing? Do you know, Griff? Uh, I believe he's still um, scheduled to play. Okay. But um, but we do want to mention that football is family. You know, tragic loss for Aiden and his family, and hopefully um, maybe his brother from up high can help him upside Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I do want to preface that. Football is family. So going from there, yes, Purdue does play Michigan coming up. So um, 
I really don't know. Like ESPN here and the betting odds. So as of today, uh, Michigan is favored by minus 16 and a half and the over-unders at 51 and a half um, for this game. The FPI from ESPN saying 89% is favoring Michigan. Um, and in terms of like overall production and like the skill set players that Michigan has, they pretty much outclass Purdue. But we've seen previous Big Ten championships, like remember when Northwestern went and Wisconsin and Iowa, like it's some of these games came down to one possession games. And then once they make a mistake, it becomes a two, three possession game, like in terms of the scoreboard. So I really don't know what to expect uh, from this Big Ten championship, honestly. Like it could be close. Purdue could upset Michigan. I don't know. What do you guys think? You are forgetting the X factor. The spoiler makers playing a number two ranked team. And uh, the Big Ten Championship is not played at, at 11 a.m., is it? I think it's 7 p.m. 7 p.m. I was going to say, the, the Big Ten Championship is in fact played at night. And the spoiler makers play best at night. The spoiler and, uh, makers come out at night. Aiden O'Connell has a really good reason to go out and play spoiler maker. He just got a fucking hell of a reason to go go out and shoot new. It would be uh, an incredible story. That, that's not selling Michigan short. I watched the Ohio State game. Michigan did to Ohio State what Ohio State normally does to other teams. Um, and it, that's an extremely good Michigan team. That is a team to be afraid of if you're just about anyone in this entire country. Well, they've gotten uh-huh. better as the season's gone on, right? Oh, yeah. They for sure have. Um, and specifically, J.J. McCarthy has gotten oh, yeah. better as the season has gone on. J.J., he went out there and, you know, Ohio State was the first game where he really lit it up. They, they leaned on Corum for a lot of the season. And I, I, a lot of me think is a conspiracy theorist here, but thinks that JJ McCarthy had it in him the whole time, and they just wanted to sort of sit it, sit on it, have it in their pocket for when Ohio State came around. Yeah, I mean, they delivered. I think the kind of game JJ had is a lot easier when you can hit two seventy-yard touchdowns when no one's within five feet of your receiver. Really helps. So it does. You got to execute those, obviously, but I mean, they had, I think, three or four touchdowns over 60 yards. Like, that's that's going to gonna uh, do a lot for you. I, I was looking at the third shortest touchdown was a 69-yard touchdown. Third shortest. That's just insane. Yeah. In a game where they scored several touchdowns. Yeah, they they scored a lot. It was a it was a really fun game to watch. They scored a few points. They sure did, but um, it's gonna be a fun game, especially uh, unranked. Remember, for the spoiler makers to make things makes things work, it has to be a night game, unranked, obviously, against the number two team. Yes, uh, and also uh, I think this game is at Indy, um, yep. so it's not gonna be at home in West Lafayette. So I hope that Juju comes to uh, Indianapolis with them. 
There'll probably be a lot of Purdue fans who, by the way, I did pick to win the Big Ten West at the beginning of the year. So I will say not happy about being right, but being right's nice. So yeah, it's exciting. So um, do we want to provide predictions for this Big Ten championship or are we just going to toss it in the air and stuff like that? Michigan. Yeah, we're doing... I think we would all take Michigan, but oh, it's gonna be a curb stop. <laughs> I am disrespecting the hell out of Purdue right now, and I do not care. I, I mean, I don't blame you, man. Michigan looked good. I'm also gonna take a Michigan. dangerous team. I'm also gonna take Michigan too, but I will not be surprised if the spoiler maker starts spoiling the entire night away against Michigan. <laughs> I, I will be surprised. Michigan does not give up enough points, and Purdue does not score enough points. Yep. Mm, yeah. Uh, but we shall see. <laughs> but uh, next up, um, an, a very interesting discussion point. So two Big Ten West teams, programs, have finalized and announced their new head coaches. Um, I do want to start with the program that announced it uh, first. So Nebraska has hired uh, former Carolina Panthers head coach uh, Matt Rule as their new head man uh, for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I think I saw the contract being an eight-year contract. Is that right? I thought I saw six. Bears legend Trace Armstrong laughing to the bank again, Matt Rule's agent. (laughs) Literally. Um, but yes, Panthers still owe him 120 million over the next three years. They do, they do. <laughs> but yes, uh, Matt Rule is hired to be the next head man. Um, I got to watch a bit of the press conference that Big Ten Network uploaded to YouTube, um, and uh, I don't know. Um, we know Matt Rule can rebuild programs. He did it at Temple and Baylor prior in college football. Obviously, it didn't go so well in the NFL which I think is a different beast altogether as a head coach. Um, so from what I'm seeing, like from like my knee-jerk reaction, I'm like, damn, they're going to be rebuilt pretty quick, I'd say, like within two seasons or three. But that's just me. I think, I think Nebraska is going to take a little bit of time. I think that that program has gone through a lot in the Scott Frost era, and the rebuild's not going to be easy. And getting the vision – the just right for Matt Rule is not going to be easy, but I think it's I think it's a hire that Nebraska can be excited for. Yeah, I I don't know as much there. I I would say that with NIL and a former NFL head coach and Nebraska probably having one of the strongest NIL programs in the entire Big Ten, probably a top four program for NIL, I would say, in the Big Ten, uh, and the transfer portal. I think. It could, you could see an injection of talent very fast. Maybe not so much gelling, maybe not so much of like a winning culture coming back. But I think you could see like a a very serious injection of transfer talent due to the due to NIL money and just the nature of the portal right now in general. And I think this will be kind of like the first real look we get at how these things all play together because it's like the perfect storm to see what would happen in a situation like this oh for sure and i think uh with matt rules remember when he first took the job at temple and baylor 
he did have like not a great first season too. And then after the first season, he turned around pretty quick. So that's what I'm seeing from this hire, but I don't know. What do you think, Griffin, since uh, you're the last guy? <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I mean, I also th thought Scott Frost would be a good hire for them, but they obviously didn't pan out. But I do also think Rule is um, a good hire for the program, not only because I would love to see the Big Ten Conference more competitive. Uh, I think we can all appreciate uh, talent and you know, beating teams, not just having like lopsided victories, uh, like uh, the Northwestern game, like 31 to three. But uh, Rule establishes his, he's, estab he's an established coach in college, right? Temple Baylor turned him around, gave him good winning seasons at the end before making his jumps. He didn't work out in the NFL. It happens. So not all coaches um, can navigate both leagues easily, but he's an established college coach. He's going to come in there and he's going to do his thing. Um, I didn't even think about kind of what Soup mentioned about the whole NAL thing. I think that's a really good point. Um, and I guess we'll just see how it plays out. But, you know, with the Cornhuskers and the fan base, just two being one of the uh, most supportive, I think, of any college football team, uh, they're going to welcome him and he's going to have every resource at Nebraska that he's going to need to succeed. Um, cool, cool. Well, then, uh, obviously, so Nebraska has fired Matt Rule. So next program, which was actually a surprise thing. Um, so Wisconsin uh, did not take the interim tag off of Jim Leonard. Uh, they have announced they are hiring Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle uh, from the Bearcats program. Um, I, I, I'm in awe. Like, I was not expecting that. I was expecting uh, Super and I predicted Jim Leonard will get the interim tag taken off, but uh, not at all. Uh, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I was like, the fuck? <laughs> Anyone want to take this? Because like, I really wasn't expecting this hire. Jason, would you say you were surprised by how fickle the Badgers were? Well, I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's well, first, we just have to start with what a great hire, like a great hire for them. Like kind of kind of sucks to see Jim Leonard go. I think he's I think he's got a bright future as a young coach. And I'm interested to see where he lands. I had a good friend of mine today toss me a text saying, why not hire Jim Leonard if Joe Rossi gets a head coaching job? Which, like, I don't hate that at all. Because uh, I think he'd also have some bad blood toward Wisconsin, and that's nice. So, I I, I'm, I agree. It was just, it was very, very surprising. Uh, all signs were pointing to Jim Leonard at the beginning of the game. And I think that sequence at the end of the game cost him his job. And that sucks. Because the end of the game, they right, they get to the five, holding call on Ja Joyner, three false starts in a row. I've never seen that, first of all, three false starts in a row. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that was like a Gophers level implosion that happened to the happened to the Badgers. And it was just like, what is happening? And I think also uh, taking two timeouts with you into the locker room first half was also kind of questionable, I think, on his part. 
where he doesn't call timeout to maybe get the ball back left with like 30 seconds and try for something. But, eh, whatever there. I just think it's very odd for a program like Wisconsin to kind of have their groomed in-house guy and to just push him aside because of one meltdown late in the game. I guess against your biggest rival, that hurts. But I don't know. I don't know how you ignore the rest of the resume. Um, feels, you know, very unlike them, a tendency breaker, just like firing Paul Christ was. So maybe it's just the new management style that they're going with. But, you know, who coaches Who coaches the bowl game? If I'm Jim Leonard, Leonard I'm saying fi- you guys figure it out. You guys can kick rocks. You know, like... I thought I, I thought we had this job locked up. We talked about it. I have one one weird thing with a backup quarterback in. What am I supposed to do about that? Holding penalty. What am I supposed to do about three false starts in a row? I can't go out there and play, you know? I would be very upset if I was him. You know, does Barry Alvarez coach the bowl game again? I think Jim Leonard coaches the bowl game. And I think he does it so that he can go out there beat the ever-living shit out of some Mac school and then say, all right, that's my time at Wisconsin. Who wants me? Because apparently Wisconsin didn't want him, and I'm heartbroken. That was his dream job. Yep. He, and he was there, and he should still be there. This should be his job. He went four and three. In a season that, that he had no right to go four and three in, and I don't know. I think I I hate the call by Wisconsin. Obviously, it's a it's an objectively good call. Luke Fickle's going to be a a solid head coach for Wisconsin, or he's going to turn into Scott Frost, but more likely he's going to be a solid hire. But. I can't help but be heartbroken for Jim Leonard. And, and that's that's saying a lot considering he's, you know, not only the head coach from Wisconsin, the interim head coach from Wisconsin, but also a former Wisconsin player. It's just devastating how this went down for him. And did you see the uh, Twitter storm that came up from Nebraska fans after they announced that Luke Fickle hire? They're like, hey, we have an open – defensive coordinator spot because remember they had an interim oh that would be scary oh like, no i don't <laughs> like that <laughs> uh, obviously it's it's nebraska friends like smoking a lot of juju and and, and that smoke i don't know but, man but i was like if nebraska wouldn't have gets to change his wardrobe too yeah, much if jim leonard gets hired by nebraska as their dc under matt rule wisconsin's not gonna let that live let, let them live that down no ever. that'd be bad that'd be really bad so well, here's, here's here's another thought um do we know if Kirk Ferentz is going to have his job? Yeah, Kirk's not going anywhere, man. I don't know. That his his contract's disgusting. Like his buyout. I think next year they might be able to buy him out, but this year I do not think so. I've also heard a lot of people shitting on Pat Fitzgerald, but I think Pat Fitzgerald's job is extremely safe. Yeah, I mean, who else is who else is going to do that job at Northwestern? Like, you're not going to get a better coach than him. Correct. Yeah, that's objectively right. Yeah, especially like the the amount of money that you get as a football program, and like um, they're rebuilding a new stadium. Like they yeah. they're they're playing the long game right now. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, like, real quick, 
let's run down the list of coaches in the Big Ten West. It's a it's a pretty pretty cool list. Yeah. So let's get started. So uh, do you want to go out like from us and down from there? So I'm just looking at the standings in front of me right now. Okay, go ahead. Who's the first Jeff team? Jeff Brom. Purdue. Jeff Brom. Right. right. Brett Bielma. Mm-hmm. Kirk Ferentz. Mm-hmm. PJ Fleck. Luke Fickle. Matt Rule. And Pat Fitzgerald. Damn. That's a fun list. Like for people who want to crap on the division, I don't like it must not be that bad. You know, look at all these great coaches. Especially when you look at the other division. But you also the the future growth of the conference, you know, a couple years down the line. Yeah. Yeah, especially with uh, what USC um, and UCLA, right? So then you add Name. You probably lose Jeff Brom. Why? They yeah, probably why? Jeff Brom to the East. Well, there's just going to be no divisions. Oh, you think there's going to be no divisions? Or have they well, said as much? Well, eventually there'll be no divisions. I don't know if what they're doing in 2024. Let me see if I can find it. Go ahead. But I will also, like, on the East side, like, obviously you have Ryan Day at Ohio State, Jim Harbaugh over at Michigan. Um, Mel Tucker had a down year with Michigan State. We'll see what happens. They do have some good talent. I was going to say, there are some people that are already calling for Mel Tucker's head. True. Um, obviously, uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with these other programs. So, uh, so Tom Allen with Indiana did not have a great season this year. Um, Greg Schiano. Did Rutgers. you see the, the very impassioned statement he, he went on? Uh, Tom Allen for NIL at Indiana. What do you say? I missed that. <laughs> he he. I'll I'll send it to you guys so you can watch it later. But he went on like a very intense pitch for the need for NIL for Indiana football, which I thought was interesting. So, mm. interesting. Um, uh, did you miss Penn State in there, Jason? I I was getting to that. So Penn State has James Franklin. Egan Michael Key, yes. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, the last guy, uh, Maryland's uh, Mike Loxley as well. Like, if you look at it in terms of, like, the entire Big Ten and then in the future, if uh, if USC and UCLA does pan out, like, the, they, they, get, they get through the legal loopholes of, like, leaving the Pac-12 and getting the money for it to leave, we have Lincoln Riley at USC. And then who is the current coach at UCLA? Like, Chip Kelly? believe so yeah so like those are some like historic names obviously like jim harbaugh and chip kelly and lincoln riley but also yeah. and kirk ferentz but like but also the younger talent and coaches uh, like the middle-aged young coaches in luke fickle matt rule pj um lincoln riley uh james franklin and much more and jeff brown like again like like looking at this list of names right now and into the future like this is pretty good like i don't I, I can't say for the same for the acc the pac-12 and not um, even the sec the sec like it's it's a it's a it's a list of names that it's it's loaded for the big 10 right now in terms of like the coaches right now because i was well, I, I i i remember, remember pj right he turned around a 111 at western michigan almost beat wisconsin in the con bowl for a mac program by what 13-1 during this time there, we uh, previously I know we shit on him now, but like Scott Frost, 
turn things around at uh, UCF. Um, Jeff Brown did really well at Western Kentucky coming in. Ryan Day inherited Urban Meyer's program. Jim Harbaugh was uh, who got pretty much fired from the 49ers, came to Michigan. Like, um, I agree. Very talented group of guys coaching in the Big Ten. Yeah, and so here's the uh, Athlon Sports for an article about what conferences could look like after expansion. If you're going to just do the same thing that we're doing now with the East-West kind of thing, the East would be Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Purdue, and Rutgers. The West would be Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin, UCLA, USC. That sounds pretty much like what I thought. If we were doing geographically, right? East-West, yeah. yeah. Hmm. All of a sudden, the West is also the harder the harder division yeah if that's if that's true the west is much harder than the east but also well the east is a lot more obvious at the very least yeah yeah but think about it state and michigan continue to be the the top dogs yeah but after that it's penn state again right michigan state but we have on the west we'd have usc ucla us iowa wisconsin like that maybe nebraska even no nebraska and illinois yeah i mean these are all teams that have an ability to compete for you know a division every year if that's yeah that's how things go except for northwestern who can't compete in odd years but well you know so that's all theoretical but you know it's interesting yeah, for sure. That is a very interesting thought there. I didn't think about it until like we discussed it. I was like, oh, shit. This is a pretty loaded list of names in the coaching yep. circles right now. So um, that's all I had. Do you guys have anything else to touch on before we wrap up for tonight? Yeah, I got something interesting here. Shoot. Do it. Uh, looking at the jobs postings on UW-Madison's website, and I see the Football assistant coach, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, director of football strength and conditioning, and an assistant strength and conditioning coach all on their uh, live applications. Hmm. Pre-bowl game. Ouchie. So fresh off the – fresh this morning, they listed all – A lot of people getting chopped. So, I wonder if Fickle's already got like his list of guys, and that's uh, just formality. Uh, and so, it, if I'm so circling back to Wyatt, if I'm Jim Leonard, I say screw you guys. No, I think, I think Soup's right that that's just formality, because it has to be posted for a certain amount of time before they can announce anything. Yeah, but Griff is uh, talking about the coaching the ball game. Yeah, oh, I was trying. Ball game? Yeah. No, I. Listen, I think Soup's definitely got a point. And I yeah. think I, that's maybe what I do. But I don't I don't know if Jim Leonard's like that. I think Jim Leonard goes in there and he coaches a ball game, whatever, he'll do it. And then he goes and says, all right, who wants me now? Because clearly, like I said, clearly the Badgers don't want him. And that's it. Badgers. I, can't the- say, I cannot say enough how heartbreaking it is that the Badgers don't want that guy. But, you know, 
Maybe, like like Jason said, maybe Joe Rossi gets his head coaching gig and... Oh, I didn't say that. I think it was Soup. Or oh, that might have Maybe yeah. Joe Rossi gets his head coaching gig and maybe Jim Leonard finds his way into maroon and gold. I wouldn't hate it. I'd take it. I mean, I don't know. I think Joe Ro- I think Kenny Burns and Joe Rossi will be the next two head coaches off of this staff whenever it happens. Any any rumblings on Joe Rossi and his uh in that head coaching search for him? There's or... like little rumblings every year about it, but mm-hmm. never too much. The Kenny Burns stuff seems more likely this year. Yep. I just don't think that Joe Rossi has enough flash for a lot of people to like think about him first. They go and they look at a guy like Kenny Burns, who's had Mo just absolutely rumbling through people. Yeah. And like Joe deserves it. Yeah. Joe's been just Joe has one of the, you know, Joe's top ten defenses before. in the country. He's been a head coach before. Oh, and yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Experience and he definitely has the credentials now. But like, you know, he's it, it, it's not like the exciting hire that a Kenny Burns would be. Yeah, yeah. Usually, when defensive coordinators get hired, they get hired from like better teams who are in the spotlight more. In case in point, Luke Fickle. Remember, he was uh, with Jim Tressel's staff. The year he got fired, uh, Trim Trussell got fired. Because I, I, I had to do some research. I forgot where his, like So PJ and Luke Fickle comes from the Jim Trestle tree, right? Luke Fickle was interim head coach for Ohio State. He got retained by Urban Meyer um, as his DC. Takes on Cincinnati. Last year goes to the, uh, the college football playoff semifinal. Uh, where I did they get wrecked by Alabama? Yep. By Alabama, and then um, they had I think a nine win season, ten win season this year. Yeah. As well, so you know Luke Fickle gets it done in Cincinnati and gets the opportunity to now rebuild Wisconsin and with a bigger budget and spotlight with the TV money they're getting from Fox. So i say it's perfect. Oh, and perfect CBS fun. next year, Paramount Plus, CBS. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So thanks for the reminder. But, yeah, uh, yeah this is going to be an interesting future coming up for college football boys. <laughs> but uh, let's wrap it up here for tonight. So, everyone, thank you so much for watching or and or listening to OPA Podcast today. Now, remember, we're on episode 59, so apologies for that at the start of the episode. But uh, we'll be back again to preview the bowl game. Um, those should be announced uh, Sunday after championship weekend. Is that about right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back uh, next Monday or Tuesday to preview our bowl game coming up and probably wrap it up there for the rest of the season. We may do a, a episode post pregame, uh, but well, post uh, bowl game. But uh, just expect the next bowl game, next episode about the bowl game to be the last for this season as we go on hiatus uh, from there. But uh, thank you so much again for watching and listening, and we'll see you guys next time. And one of your hosts, Jason O, along with Griffin Most, White Oakers, Soup, and we'll see you guys next time. And oh, oh.